Hello, and welcome back to the show. I am Sarah Lulepers, your host and the editorial coordinator of the Europe Ukraine Desk project, of which this podcast is a part. Here, we meet European journalists who come to report from Ukraine on current affairs and collaborate with their Ukrainian colleagues. This second episode will lead us to visit the city of Bucha, near Kyiv. You can also listen to the first episode of the show, which will give you more background. What you should know is almost all these journalists have never been to Ukraine before and none have previously been in a war zone. In many ways, this trip was one of many firsts for all of them. Many thought they came here to do a job, but ended up questioning their profession. This episode is about breaking expectations, re-evaluating established beliefs, reassessing something that always seemed to be obvious, and also disagreeing with each other. Let's get back on the train. Something not obvious is that Russia's war against Ukraine forced everyone to measure the distance between their own homes and the front line in Ukraine. You have to keep in mind that journalists traveled on a train for a reason. It's not, it's not far away from Bulgaria. If you catch the straight line between Shum and Kiev, it's only a one hour by plane. Krasen is a journalist from Bulgaria who was in our previous episode. And uh, when the war began, I'm from Varna, it's the biggest uh, coastal city in Bulgaria. So uh, we talk about what's going on, the war is only 300 kilometers from us. Yes. 300 kilometers. So we are bordering Romania. I mean, even from Paris, it's just a two hours flight. Yeah. But so we small. don't realize. Yeah. This is Corentin, a journalist from France. So it's not only about Eastern and Western Europeans, it's war about, it, this war is about Europe. So it, it, it's in all of us. It's not only in me because we are Slavs or we share a cultural space with the Ukrainians. It's about you too. But now we have to travel more than yeah, yeah, <laughs> one or two days yeah, to go to Kiev. It's still worth mentioning. This war was much closer than we all thought. After one good night's sleep, broken by one air raid alert, where we took shelter in an underground car park, our group of journalists started their visit in Kyiv. They arrived at the headquarters of Suspilny, the public broadcasting company in Ukraine. This newsroom reports in Ukrainian and broadcasts nationwide. One of the big impacts of the full-scale invasion and of martial law was the launch of a united marathon, a united news programming produced by the country's biggest media outlets altogether which broadcasts 24-7 on all major Ukrainian TV channels. This decision was taken by the Ukrainian state to fight Russian propaganda and protect the Ukrainian army. Journalists at Suspilny showed us their work and the broad range of topics and points of views they publish. They answered our questions and said many times that they have the freedom of any other independent journalist. 
At one point, one of the speakers said something that raised many issues. She said, I am a soldier. Most EU journalists were full of questions, because journalism is supposed to be neutral. This is something we learn in journalism school. We should give the mic to one side and then to its opposition. And like soldiers, we don't fight in a war. We watch soldiers who are fighting and report about it. But how does this work when your own country is at war? Later in the evening, the curfew meant we could only gather in our hotel. A big conversation started among journalists from Italy, Spain and Bulgaria. They wanted to understand what that speaker at Suspilne meant by using these words, I am a soldier. You remember Krasen, one of the Bulgarian journalists from the train. He was passionate and tried to explain this phrase. He felt he understood. Do you know the, 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 the song Soldier of Fortune? Is it the same or Soldier of Fortune or only Soldier? Soldier of Truth or only Soldier? What's the difference? If you are a journalist, you're a soldier of truth. You're not only soldier. The Ukrainian society now is like a fist. The only purpose of this fist is to punch somebody else's face. If you put it in a context, the her next sentence, it was, all of us are soldiers. Even the people who are in the shelter singing songs. Everybody from this society will do the same job. Everybody will take the order and follow the order with one purpose, to fix that face and to liberate the country. Krasen underlined the importance of the context and that journalists in Ukraine are also part of society. During wartime, he said, it is impossible to not think about the impact publishing one piece of information can have on your country. This is even more critical when an information war is also raging. Krasen also made a comparison with censorship and self-censorship in the EU. If you are a journalist in Bulgaria or in France and you have uh, auto-censorship or censorship under you, you are doing it with um, a very bad feeling. You, you know that you are doing something bad. If you're doing when your uh, country is in face of extinction, you're doing it like you're a soldier. You're a soldier in, in the name of something good. You, you have another feeling. It's not the same. Other journalists took a different view to Krasen, such as Francesco, who lives in Bulgaria, but is Italian. Yeah, but I, I allow myself to disagree to some extent, because you can always uh, claim that your nation is in front of extinction. For example, in Italy, they say, uh, immigrants are coming. Uh, it's not a war, it's not like a declared war, but it's a war against us, because they want to uh, substitute Italians with immigrants. So we need to fight. We need to fight back. And if this means, you know, to uh, twist the truth, uh, to we have a goal, we have to survive. So, of course, here, the menace, it's visible, it's real, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, discussing about that, yeah. but should journalists become crusaders of anything? This is a, a very big question. The scale is different. If you have a problem like this in Italy, we're talking about uh, a political agenda. There is no war in it. 
we're talking about the biggest war since the Second World War in Europe. And in the, during the Second World War in Europe, there were the, the, the same mechanism that uh, 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 in the biggest country in Europe started, even in the United Kingdom, started to tell the press what to do. And even in the United States, the same mechanism started to tell the press what to do in the face of extinction of the Western civilization or something else. Uh, it's the same in the First World War. I don't know what we are asking Ukrainians to do in the situation which uh, represents the, the third biggest war in Europe since uh, the start of the 20th century. Krasin and Francesco were thinking of analogies to understand what this journalist meant when she said, I am a soldier. But it was complicated. The truth is, nobody knows what she's doing. We don't know what she's doing. I'm not, I don't want to crucify her. I, I'm not sure about what she really meant. So I must um, remind you uh, the old aphorism about the first victim of war is the truth. It's the same with Russian, and the purpose is different. They're trying to protect the Putin and uh, his inner circles. That uh, includes the journalists in it. The propagandists, they're not journalists anymore. They're not journalists. The propagandists in this circle. The, the, purpose, uh, the purpose of the Ukrainian press is to protect the country because the survival is in state. This discussion did not come to an end. We talked and talked and talked. We had new questions about how to report from inside your own country at war. Is it possible to ask someone to decide between being a journalist and a Ukrainian? Is it even fair to ask this question? These issues haunted us during our week in Kyiv. For some reason, no one found the time to call that speaker and ask her what she meant by that sentence, I am a soldier. The day after, Everyone got into a bus, and we headed outside of Kyiv. It was a first for me and for most fellows. We were slowly leaving the capital and discovering the suburbs of Kyiv. This bus drove us to a city all of us had seen in shocking reports from last year. We were going to Bucha. You know, I'm doing a podcast to document this trip. Oh. It's a very beautiful mic. Harry and so. Can you tell me where we were going? Busha, Irpin, yeah, the uh, the place of the most terrible tragedy that happened in Ukraine. And um, are you? How do you feel? When I read the program, the schedule, I I thought this could be the most scared part of the trip, uh, the one that was most afraid, because uh, I remember the image, the video of the Russian militaries killed uh, dozens and dozens of uh, Ukrainian people without reason. But uh, on the on the train, uh, when we were arriving, I, um, I was uh, close to a family uh, from Bucha. So I spent hours uh, talking with them and um, I started to uh, change the, the image of of the place, but also of uh, what happened, and uh, and it, it's now it is completely different of uh, the the image that I had uh, before the before leave uh, Italy. Um, yeah, I I think that 
we we feel the the weight of uh, of the story in, the, in that place it, it, it could be very very strong for us the voice you heard belonged to sasha he's from italy and has been an investigative journalist for eight years he has heard a lot about bucha in the last few days because he spent 14 hours on the train from Poland with a family who came from here. Can you describe me the image you had of Bucha? Because you said it changed, talking to that family, it changed your yeah. image. So what was your image? Yeah, for, for example, I understood that uh, Bucha was a neighborhood of uh, middle class where um, a lot of uh, professionals that uh, don't want to, to, to live in the chaos of the, of the big city find that place to, to have a bigger house with garden. Uh, and uh, I don't know why I, um, I, I thought it was like a, a suburbs for, uh, of, for poor people. Instead was uh, a rich part of the, of the city, you know? And, and, and also, um, when, when we pass close with the train, I, um, I imagine that all the, uh, the villages were completely destroyed. Instead, uh, we, we saw that, uh, and also the, the family told me that uh, they reconstructed almost everything. Yes, the, there are a lot of signs of the war, but uh, they, the, the streets are clean. Uh, yeah, this, this is the, um, the different that I didn't uh, uh, expect before. So this is what we're going to see today? I think that uh, what we could see is something that we can't see with eyes. Uh, and this is this kind of, um, of feeling that in some way I have also in Kiev, no? that we are in the middle of the story. No? When you start speaking with the, with the people, um, with all the people that we met until now, you, you can see uh, in their eyes what they lived in the last year. And uh, in Bush and Irpin, uh, I, I think that we will meet this kind of stories, this kind of, uh, of weight of the story of the history and uh, of the personal story. We knew the city from the pictures after the Russian army left in April 2022. Burned cars, looted shops and whole districts bombed. Also, the bodies of civilians lying on the road, some with their arms tied behind their backs. The mass graves and the victims of rape and torture. When we arrived in Bucha, it was nothing like most of us imagined. In front of us, uh, one memorial of, it seems, a virgin with uh, a lot of flowers um, regarding memory for the victims here. Um, we are in front of, of uh, Orthodox Church, it's beautiful, beautiful, and it's the view that we have in this, in this country, you know, the cultural and religious, and with a lot of dignity in the behavior of the people. And the environment in, in this place, uh, it feels to me um, very peaceful, uh, metaphorically. Uh, people want to be, be uh, uh, want to live in peace, and to I want to be happy and to 
build another time uh, this beautiful country that uh, has suffered too much and still suffer the the war. Yeah, it's um, a city that suffered so much. This is Bea. She's a Spanish journalist for a newspaper in Madrid. It was her first time here, and setting foot in Bucha caused her a lot of emotions. How does it feel to be here? It's uh, strange in the sense that uh, I'm very shocked about that. It's like to be in Auschwitz, in some sense, uh, in a modern Auschwitz, in, in this century Auschwitz. No? It's a very a historical point that changed all, all our century. Other world is changing because of this conflict, and Bucha and Irpin are uh, two scenarios that make this change. And overall, uh, that show how Russia is and how, uh, as far as they want, as far as they um, arrive to make uh, this vulneration of rights. When the world saw the images of dead civilians lying on the streets and parking lots of Bucha, the Russians denied any responsibility. They even claimed the images were a hoax, created by Ukraine for the Western media. This is a key example of the war on information that has been active since February 2022. OSINT, open source intelligence and journalists played a crucial role in fact-checking this information. Pictures, Videos and satellite images allowed newsrooms from all over the world to demonstrate that bodies had been lying on the roads of Bucha for weeks before the Russian army left the city. One Ossinter joined us on the trip. His name is Alexandre. He works for a French newspaper and has been working on examining Bucha from afar. He had an impression of déjà vu, although he had never set foot in Bucha. I'm from the fact-checking in Ossint Open Sources Investigation Team. And uh, right now we are like in front of uh, one of the administration buildings of Bucha, which is kind of uh, weird for me because uh, we worked on them last year at the time of liberation and discovery of massacre. Alexandre verifies the authenticity of documents and videos, for example. To do basically like authentication, to geolocate a video and uh, found context on it, which involved finding where it was taken, if it's coherent with other footage from uh, Google Maps, from other sources we can found, and to found like those uh, those uh, underground footage. In uh, in this case, it was mainly war crimes strike footage and uh, fighting footage that we had to authenticate and work on from Paris, so from far away, not like right now to see it uh, more than one year after uh, in person. It's uh, yeah, it's kind of kind uh, of destabilizing. No, it's not the right well. It's kind of, it's kind of, um, it's a weird feeling. And for example, this place with like two big rectangle, administration rectangle, showing like it's an administration building of Ukraine, were places of like revendication of ground taken back by Ukrainian forces. And uh, one of the administration, administration kind of, uh, Bucha administration did a video right, like, right here last year, and we did, a, we did a geolocation here using those special rectangles right in front of us. So it's kind of special, like uh, not special, but weird to be in front of stuff like you watch dozens of times last year. It's the same thing for uh, the church, who is like 100 meters from us, which was uh, one of the places where mass graves were discovered. 
with the killed civilians. And uh, like right now, grass has uh, grown back on it. There is memorial, but uh, you, 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 can, uh, you can see, like from my perspective, journalist perspective is kind of, uh, I'm saying special, but it's the first time it happened to me. Not in this season, because like right now it's very flourish. A lot of uh, green tree and the period we worked on was the end of, uh, of winter. So like the landscape is a little bit different. Uh, some places were, were already reconstructed. Well, but yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a weird feeling. Before the end of this episode, we wanted to solve a piece of unfinished business. Do you remember the journalist who said she was a soldier? Her name is Victoria, and we decided to ask her what she meant. As it turns out, Victoria is not a journalist. Uh, actually, I'm not working in the uh, newsroom because we are different, absolutely different subdivision. Uh, so I was invited only uh, as a speaker, and I'm actually I'm not a journalist. I'm uh, a producer, and uh, yeah, I remember my speech. I remember what I was talking about. Uh, we are not soldiers, but we put ourselves together, and somehow we are mobilized. Yeah, by ourselves. <laughs> Victoria works with news, but also entertainment and educational content. She's part of the company, but not a journalist. I asked what she meant when she said, I am a soldier. Uh, maybe I said this because it was a bit emotional, but I can afford myself. I think maybe I would like not being a soldier. You know, that, uh, not all people can uh, defend country with army, so we cannot all be in army. But knowing the price and how much people lives we already lost. Uh, also uh, gives me uh, yeah it's it's frustrating uh, and in insane. But knowing that not only military men where and women are on the front line that there are different professions that were you know volunteering to go to the army and then I'm not maybe somehow I would like to put one's code in myself and to say that I'm here work doing my job well for you to defend me but you doing your job and I will do mine perfectly. Yeah, to support you, to you know, to spread the information, to to produce content, uh, uh, to compete with the biased uh, Russian propaganda, and all this. Maybe that's why I I talked in such a way. Victoria added that what she meant was not necessarily applicable to journalists because it's not her job. But she was implying that everyone in Ukrainian society now feels part of the army and has a role to play. But this can be difficult for foreign journalists to understand. I understand what what's a surprise because people cannot imagine what the country is going through, large-scale invasion. Even journalists, even journalists that are filming war, they cannot even imagine uh, like a people, like people, because we are all people. They cannot imagine what is living one year and a half or one year during this full pressure of large-scale invasion. So you are a journalist, but we have families. You should think about, uh, is your kid in a shelter? 
or you should think uh, uh, about when you are a producer and under your, in your unit you have 90 people, are they okay? Are they in the safe places? Yes, I should be a soldier a bit because I should be each time uh, very concentrated and thinking over many, many processes. And we are to find, uh, uh, you know, even these uh, prosaics uh, things like where to find uh, uh, funds for uh, producing something, yeah, because we cannot stop to produce. Because people are living life, we should produce something. But when you are not in these shoes, you can, I'm sure, 100%, you can never imagine what, what people are going through. And um, that's why I was very okay with a reaction, with any reaction. It can be uh, people who are, you know, selling me medicine in a pharmacy or people who are making bread during blackouts. Aren't they soldiers? Who are making bread during uh, during uh, blackouts? It was a story of a baker who was uh, the first two weeks during the large scale inner pin by bicycle. He was going to the shop to make a bread for people under attacks and the threat uh, near Russian troops, and he was every day making his job. Isn't he a soldier? I don't know. And are these uh, children who are studying in a basement, are the soldiers making their studies? <laughs> so that's why maybe I told such things. <laughs> it was a bit emotional, but I don't know, it was my thought for that moment. Thank you for listening to the second episode of Covering Ukraine. It was recorded by me, Sarah Lepers. It was written together with Daniel Bilik, who also edited, sound designed and mixed this episode. The views expressed by the characters are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the organization they work for, nor NOST or the European Commission who funded this project. The podcast covering Ukraine was created as part of the Europe Ukraine Desk, a program that aims at creating bridges between journalists from the EU and Ukrainian journalists. You can get in touch with us at eud.nos.org. It's in the description of this episode. Maybe consider telling a friend about this show if you liked it. We'll meet soon in the final episode, where we will be debriefing the rest of the trip, making plans for future projects and packing our bags. Until then, take care and thanks for listening. <laughs>